Welcome to our Light London podcast, Go Deeper, where we go deeper into Sunday's word. If you've missed a few sessions, don't worry about it. We release episodes every week. Get your pen and paper ready, or your laptop, and let us take you on a journey deeper into the word of God. Hello, 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 beautiful people. How are we doing? I want to talk to you today about prayer. I'm going to try and I feel the Holy Spirit strong here. I'm going to pray with you uh, about um, about um, uh, I'm going to talk to you today about prayer that gets results. Prayer that gets results. A huge amount of why believers backslide and walk away from God, get offended with the Lord, is because whatever they are doing is not working. And the only alternative when what you're doing isn't working is to either go into religion or to create some means through which you sabotage yourself to walk away from God. Um and so a lot of us are, are dealing with, in our, in our personal walk with God, we're dealing with frustration. And what we do often, if we're not careful, what we do often is we make Job's mistake. And what was Job's mistake? What was Job's great sin when God was putting him through a time of testing? He... Not No, it's not as simple as blaming God, actually. He didn't blame God. Actually, if you listen to what his friends were saying, his friends were blaming him. But what he was doing was he was, he was creating or his friends were creating inaccurate doctrines about who God is. If you actually listen to what he was saying, God was saying, I need you to repent on behalf of your friends for what they said about me. Now, listen to the things his friend said. His friends were telling him, maybe you sinned against God. Maybe you've done something wrong and you need forgiveness. Maybe this, because often when things are not working properly, we look for the reasons why they're not working. And so what we as human beings do is we create religion around what God said. God can say something so simple. Here's what God said to it. To, uh, to, to Adam in the Garden of Eden to give you a case in point. He said, do not, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? What is, what, when, by the time we get to Eve, what's Eve saying out of her mouth? She's saying something different. Have you noticed? The s- snake comes to Eve in Genesis, the third chapter, and says, uh, did God say you can't eat of any of the trees? She says, no, God said we can't eat or touch. See what happens? We create inaccuracies around the purity. And you say, well, what's the harm of that? What's the harm? What's the harm? This is, this is what she did was the first superstition. What she did was she created the first superstition. That's the first time we see superstition in scripture. What is superstition? When people go, touch word, nothing will go wrong with me. When people go, hey, careful, don't walk under that bridge or under that ladder. That's bad luck. She created superstition. What what was the danger of her superstition? What was the danger of her superstition? Because your superstitions can can become your substitute for truth. For example, let me give you a superstition. Heaven helps those who help themselves. People have told me, well, the Bible says heaven help those that help themselves. People have told me other superstitions like, hey, look, uh, money's the root of all evil. Be careful now, money's the root of all evil. 
And what our inaccuracies do, what our inaccuracies with our approach to scripture do, is they allow us to form religion and pass on error. Because human beings are lazy, very few people go back to the original truth to find out what was actually said. And so we're playing this giant game of Chinese whispers, and we so far drifted from the truth, the original truth. What was the danger of what she said? She said, if God, the day we eat it or touch it. So now the Bible says she reached out and touched it. Well, well, well now she's touching it. She's not dying. So guess what? God must have lied, or she didn't listen properly. This is why we've got to be so careful about the things we say. Let me tell you another superstition we say. When you pray, the reason why you don't get an answer is sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. You watch some TV show like Touched by an Angel on Disney Channel, and they said that, and you said, oh, the Bible says when we pray, Sometimes God will say yes, sometimes he'll say no, and sometimes he'll say not yet because he's testing our character. Hmm. What does the Bible say? You know, it's nice what you say. It's sweet what you say. You have your opinion. But what does the Bible say? Let's see. Go to the book of John 738. Remember, this is Go Deeper Bible Study, so I can go a bit slower. Let's sorry, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. And you all know my, my main Bibles are NKJV and the Amplified, so you can track with me. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 in the NKJV says this. It says, for all the promise, for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory, to the glory of God by us. Do you see that? All the promises of God are maybe, not yet. All the promises of God are yes. And in Christ, amen. Everything God promised, as long as he promised it, it is yes. You need to write that down. You need to fix that in your spirit. All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and they are amen. Um, let's go to go to the book of First John 5, verse 14. How does God want us to be? First John 5, verse 14. It says, and this is the confidence. And this, I'm telling you what this is in a moment, this, someone type in the comment channel, the word this, type this, this is the confidence. So he's pointing to something. He's saying this, what I'm about to point to, this thing is the reason for your confidence. So when you pray, you shouldn't be, can you imagine praying with the theology that sometimes God's going to say no, and sometimes he's going to say not yet. Why would you bother praying? Prayer then becomes Russian roulette. Sometimes I get why you're not praying. Because sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say no. So, so, so you, how do you have faith? How do you even have faith if sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet? Every promise of God. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hear that? This 
is the confidence you have in him. What is the confidence you have in him? That if you ask, the word ask in the Greek means to demand as if it's your right. It doesn't mean, oh, please, 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 God, if it be thy will, um, if it's not thy will, don't, no, 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 no. He says, and this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything, 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 what does anything mean? What does anything mean in the Greek? What does it mean? It means anything. What does it mean in the Hebrew? It means anything. What does it mean in English? It means anything. And anything. Any, listen, if you can find it in his will, that's why, let me tell you where you can't have confidence when you pray for somebody else's husband to be yours. Because it's not in his will. Let me tell you where else you can't have confidence. Let me tell you where else you can't have confidence. <laughs> Let me tell you where else confidence can't exist. Confidence can't exist when you are when you are uh, asking God to, to kill everybody who offended you. Die, 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 die. Let's talk. I'm going to tell you where that comes in, though. I will teach you where that comes. Judgment. We'll get into it in a moment. Some of you are just murderers. You don't understand judgment. <laughs> You're just murderers. Burying people in church. My enemies will die. That's witchcraft. Okay. This is the confidence we have in him. This is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according, that means if you can find it in his will, you can ask for it. If you can find it in his will, you can have it. Anything means anything. Anything you can find in his will, you can possess. He said, this is the confidence we have in him. See, see, Bible study, I get to go slow. In church, I have to rush because can I, can, I, can I lay this on properly so that this can be founded in your spirit? This is the confidence. That means when I approach God, God wants me to come to him with, with, with assurance. Are you all understanding me? The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Okay, I'm going somewhere. If we ask anything according to his will, now, let me, let me, in case you don't know something, we're going to give you some, I'm going to give you some scriptures so you can put some things in your arsenal against the devil. Um, okay. Um, go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, God... Let me, let me read from NKJV. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God in him. God made him who, who, who knew no sin become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Are you guys listening to me today? God made him who knew no, what, why am I saying that? Because we've heard this language. Now, let me tell you what we do. Oh God, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Listen, either, are you a sinner or are you saved? Which one are you? You have to decide because sinners can't pray. Only righteous people can. God does not hear the prayer of the wicked. 
That's what the scripture says. God does not hear the prayer of the wicked. He only hears the prayer of righteous. What does righteous mean? Righteous means somebody who has a right. See, this is the thing. We don't think about language. Righteousness means someone who has a right. When we start talking about right, we're talking about legalities. Somebody in a legal position who has a legal right to something. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What I want to tell you, folks, is the Bible is not emotional. It is legal. And if you don't understand legalities, you will not understand prayer. Prayer is a judicial system. It is not an emotional system. That's why a woman can come to Jesus and beg for her daughter to be uh, free from demons and Jesus not answer her. Why did he not answer? Because heaven does not respond or react to your emotional blackmail. I know you're on here. I know you've tried. I know you've done everything and cried to God. I know you threatened him. I know you've blackmailed him. I know you've done everything you can to get God to move. Why is he moving? Because heaven does not respond to emotions. Heaven responds to legalities. And the enemy is conning you through your emotions. The enemy is ruling you through that which you have not yet learned to rule. It does not mean emotions are bad. Emotions should serve us in the will of God. But the problem now is, is there's a dichotomy in man between good and evil. And there are uh, unholy emotions that try to drive us away from the will of God. Uh, that, that's what the Bible calls the flesh. It is our animal and base instinct. It is our uninformed, uneducated emotions. And what a lot of people who live by their flesh live by is they live by how they feel. They have not yet understood legalities. So here, Hosea 4 verse 6 begins with this. It says, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. Verse 7 says, for you have forsaken knowledge. Therefore, I have forsaken you from being my priests. Are you guys listening today? See, this, this thing is not airy-fairy. It's not us flying around. It's not us shaking and jerking and goosebumpy. I love all of that. I love a good Holy Ghost fall. I love a good jerk. I love breaking a chair. I, I love when people lose wigs. I enjoy it. I'm as Pentecostal as they come. I enjoy it. But let me tell you what I enjoy more, when believers understand their righteousness. Let me go further. The Old Testament, for God to write the Old Testament, it had to be written. This is what we call the Torah. The word Torah means law. See, what a lot of you think the law is, is you think it's just the Ten Commandments. The law is what we call the Torah. It means that when you open your Bible, you are opening a judicial book. You are opening a legal book. You are opening a constitution. You are opening a will. This is why God had to raise a government official who understood governmental uh, uh, rulership, somebody who was schooled 
in Egypt, somebody who was trained to understand organized and civilized uh, communities. He had to use him to write his constitution. The man's name was Moses, who was a legal officer and a judge over God's people. His name was Moses. When it came to the writing of the new covenant, God endorsed, uh, brought on the same practices by raising a man called Paul, who was a lawyer of lawyers to explain a constitution. The entire Bible is a legal book. Now you're going to understand why it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you all hear what I just said? Without faith. So what is faith? What is faith? What is faith? Type it in the chat. If you already know the message that I've taught before on faith, don't type it in the chat. But if you don't know it, I want to ask you, what is faith? What is faith? Type it in the chat, what you believe faith is. I want to I want to hear your definition and your exegesis. Someone said substance. Um, what is faith? Don't just, Hebrews 11, don't just say Hebrews 11. What is faith? What is faith? I want to know your depth. It's confidence. Okay, yes, you're right. It's a title deed. Yes, you're right. It's substance. Uh, substance, if things hope for. So, yeah, okay, cool. What is your understanding of faith? What is faith? Okay, let's let's get that. You see, anytime the Bible says without something, you can't please God, that's the very thing you should focus on. Anytime your Bible says that once you don't have this, it's like, um, how do I explain now? It's like you trying to use your remote control without a battery. It's as useless as the believe without faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you understand why a lot of people enter into religious spaces, because they enter into religious spaces because they're trying and attempting to please God, but they don't understand the only thing that pleases him. Look at how he walked the earth. The one thing that grieved him and the one thing that pleased him was faith. Did you notice that? He said, oh, ye of little faith. Or where was your faith? Or great is your faith? If there's anything you're going to become an expert of, it should be what? Faith. It's a slow bunch today. Type with me. Type with me. It should be faith. Faith. If you're going to be an expert of anything, if it says without this thing, it's not even possible to align with God. It's not even possible to please him. This is the one thing you got to focus on. Faith. Faith. So, so you got you to you gotta spend your life studying and obsessing over well, what it's faith. Let me tell you why you got to do it. Let me tell you why you got to do it. Uh, somebody, uh, please, guys, uh, you, you should be able to unmute yourself. I don't know if we've locked the microphones, but I, I usually get somebody to read uh, the, the verses for me. Um, um, go, somebody go to um, Romans 117. Somebody else go to Galatians 311. Somebody else, Hebrews 1038. And when you've got it, just unmute your mic and read it out for me. So Romans 117, Galatians 311, and Hebrews 1038, and somebody else, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. When you're there, just unmute your mic, whoever's got the first one, and read it for me. So Romans 117, Galatians 311, Hebrews 1038, and Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Unmute someone. 
I'll go through one of them. Any one you got? Galatians 3, verse 11, NKJV. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Do you hear that? Nobody justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, but the just shall live. That means if you've been, hear this. What is, see, we have to think about words. Again, look at what God's using. He's using a legal term. The just, what does just mean? Just means justified. What does justified mean? Justified means this, that somebody declared that you have fulfilled the requirements of justice. Somebody declared you were right. So a judge basically just said, you, you committed murder, and the judge went, by my verdict, innocent. But you did it. But the judge goes, innocent. Why does the judge say innocent? Because there's something called the law of double jeopardy. The law of double jeopardy means that somebody cannot be tried for the same crime more than once. Here is here the first Adam sins and sin gets to everybody. The second Adam is sinless yet punished for all our sin. So righteousness gets to everybody. Woo, praise God, hallelujah, that's great news, amen, great preaching, keep going, uh, keep staying encouraged, apostle. Righteousness is now spread to the whole world because of what God did. You are now the justified of God. But look what he said, the just shall live. That means if you want to stay just, you got to live by faith. If you want to see, listen, if you don't want to slip back into condemnation in the law, you gotta you gotta have faith. Somebody else read the second one. Hebrews ten verse thirty eight. Mm -hmm. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see that the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back from what faith? If anyone draws back, and another translation says, if anyone's soul draws back, that means if anybody in their emotions starts to question this, <laughs> if anybody in their emotions starts to draw back from this, my soul, God says, my soul will no longer take pleasure in them. Wow. Next one, please. Habakkuk verse 4. Yep. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright, but the just shall live by his faith. Is there one more? Yes, uh, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. You see that no man is justified in the sight of God by the law. It is evident. So don't you think you need to know what faith is? Don't you think you need to now become experts of faith? If the just are going to live by faith and your Christian life isn't alive, if your Christian life isn't alive, then something is wrong with your faith. So what is faith? What is faith? What is faith? There's this definition in the scripture of what faith is that is um, the most powerful definition of faith. Um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Says this from verse one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
the evidence of things are. So hear this. Faith is the substance of what I hope for. It's the evidence of what I don't see. So what, what is he saying? Let's break it down. Faith. Um, does anyone have an accordance? Or is there Esau on this phone? Does anyone have an accordance? If you don't have one, let me give you a tool to download on your phone. It's called eSword. Download it on your phone. It, it'll give you the Greek. It'll give you the Hebrew. I've, got, I've, I've got Blue Bible study. Good, good, good. Blue, Blue Bible letter. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, whatever gives you uh, the Greek and Hebrew, a good concordance, a good Strong's concordance, is is what I, what I want. And I says, now faith is, now uh, faith is now pistis is uh, in the in the Greek. It means confidence is or reliance on God. Hear this now. Faith is faith is. I'm telling you directly what it is. It's the hypostasis. Hypostasis. Hypostasis means this. Please get this word in you. So important. Hypostasis in the Greek is the word understanding. You're about to get something powerful now. See, you think faith is a feeling. So sometimes when you don't feel good, you say your faith is weak. When you feel good, you say your faith is strong. And that's where you fall. You didn't realize faith is understand. So when your understanding is weak, your faith is weak. When your understanding is strong, your faith is strong. Now faith is, that's why I use the word substance. Sub, sub, way, subordinate, submission. The word sub means under. Stance means standing. Faith is the understanding. I hope you're getting this now. This is why a lot of our prayer lives are, are missing. Faith is the understanding of what I hope for. See, if I don't understand what I'm hoping for, I can't walk in faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. There is no such thing as ignorant faith. Faith is the understanding of what I'm hoping for. And let me tell you, when I understand what I hope for, when I understand what I hope for, it becomes evidence of what I can't see. Basically, when I understand what I'm hoping for, other people start to see the evidence of it. And that evidence they start to see in my life now is proof that what is unseen belongs to me. That means when I have understanding, there'll be evidence of it. Ooh, have you ever seen somebody with understanding? Uh, you know, it was no mistake that Elon Musk became a billionaire. I'm sure if you met him before he was a billionaire, you would know he was going to become one because he had an understanding of something. You see, people, people who are spiritual, and by the way, not all saved people are spiritual and not all unsafe people are unspiritual. I've actually met more unsafe spiritual people that I've met saved people. I've met more saved religious people. I've met people who aren't born again who can have more powerful prophetic dreams and words. And I'm talking dreams from God. Pharaoh was not saved. 
but he got a dream from God about a famine that was going to come. I hope you're hearing me today. See, what defies a lot of Christians is the religious mindset because they haven't understood or grasped yet. Faith is understanding. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you before, before uh, we go any deeper today. Today is go deeper, right? Is this, is this deep yet or can I go deeper? Can I go a little bit deeper? Faith is the understanding of what I hope for. It is to understand what I'm, I, I'm hoping for. So what does the Bible say? Why is it that the Bible says this? Proverbs chapter 4. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 4? Uh, so, uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 7, it says, hear this, wisdom is the principal thing. Everybody say that out loud seven times. Wisdom is the principal thing. 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 I need that in you. The Bible says, bind the word around your head, around your heart. Get it into you by repetition. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now, what the word principal means is it means first thing. Wisdom is the first thing you need. Stop running around from service to service for anointing for breakthrough, anointing for deliverance. That's why. See, you're a consumer. You're not a producer. You don't even know how to produce the anointing. You only know how to consume it. Because the only thing you know how to do is consume it. You get one breakthrough. You don't yet know how to live a life of breakthrough. Stop being a consumer. Be the producer of the anointing. How? Wisdom is the principal thing. It's the first thing that you and I should seek. When we wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that we're looking for? Wisdom. You know, when I lay hands on people, do you know what I look for? I don't look for them to fall over, shake on the floor, rattle and roll. Let me tell you what I desire when people fall on the power of God, that they wake up with, they come off the floor with wisdom they didn't have before. There's wisdom. There's, there's ideas in their heart and in their head that wasn't there before. There's a spirit of wisdom that's flowing in them. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. But hear this, hear what it says. And with all thy getting, another translation said, though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Can I tell you why believers are not operating in power? Because they do not understand the faith itself requires that you understand what you hope for. Faith itself cannot partner with ignorance. Great faith is great understanding. Little faith is little understanding. It still works. It still works, but you got a little bit of understanding. No faith is pure ignorance. Faith cannot walk with ignorance. It's not possible. Faith requires that if it's going to be faith, you understand, this is why we call it confidence, because the, the real meaning of the word hypostasis is that something is standing under you as a right for you to speak. That if that thing isn't undergirding you, that thing isn't there in your spirit, you'll even know that you're just, sometimes you're like, God, I just meet you and it feels like my words are just useless. Because there's no understanding. Faith is the understanding. It's not the speaking to God of emotions and feelings. It's the understanding of the will of God. And it's the understanding of the underlying principles that activate what you hope for. 
If you don't know or apply the principles that activate the things that you're longing for, those things will never come to pass in your life. No matter how much you sweat, cry, scream, and pray. Do warfare. Go to all night. Fast for 40 days. Nothing will budge until you understand what I'm talking about today. What is faith the understanding of? Let's, let's, let's look at uh, faith as understanding in practice. Can I go deeper? Are you guys done? Are you guys done yet? Oh, go deeper. Okay. Um, okay. Go to I, the book of... If you I didn't come book, here for shallow. Sorry, I didn't come here for shallow. Good, good. So go to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. Uh, let's read a bit before verse 9. I want to read from verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Carpenium, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Look what he did. Look at what he did. Everybody else, their faith was like, Jesus, come to my house. You need to come physically from where you are, because I, I can only believe when I see your hand put place on that person. You need to come to my house physically. This man said, no, no, where you are right now, even though he can't hear you, speak a word from where you are and he'll be healed. Where, where does that kind of faith come from? Where does that kind of faith come from? It comes from this. Look at this. I can't, I can't imagine it. If I were him, I'd be like, please come, come. Because I need to be assured that Jesus is going to heal him. I need to be assured. I need to be, you know, I need to see him do it. And then if he doesn't heal him, I need to blame Jesus and pray again, try harder. How did he know? It's like this man knew something. Jesus, only speak the word. Just, just say something out your mouth and it'll happen. Whew. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. Hear what he said. I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Marvel means he laughed out loud. He lulled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found, hear this, such great faith. But what did the man say? What did the man express? He, he expressed his understanding. He said, I am under authority and have people in authority. He said, I understand how the angelic realm functions. I know that you're under the authority of God, but you have angels under your authority. I understand that you are not here by yourself, that there is an invisible army operating around you right now. And as a general to a general, I know I don't go and do the work myself. I send my foot soldiers. Woo! And he said, you send your angels from where you are. God, you don't need, Jesus, you don't need to come. Don't bother yourself. You have authority to speak to one of these angels and your angels will go and do the, do the task and do the job for you. He didn't, he expressed, you see, we say great faith. What did he really express? He expressed great understanding. Mm. 
Okay. Okay. They're not convinced. Okay. Uh, go to Luke 8, verse 43. Luke 8, verse 43. Now you're going to understand why your prayers aren't being heard or answered. They're being heard, but how do we get them to a place where they're answered? Luke Luke 8, verse 43 says, And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, 12 years she had an issue of blood. I need us to become sensitive when we're reading the word. Not like, oh, 12 years. Think about a period nonstop for 12 years. Think about hemorrhaging. You women understand even just the, the time you're on it for a period. This is not even a period anymore. This is just ongoing because a period only lasts for a period. It's a period of time. That's why we call it a period. This is ongoing flow, flow of heavy bleeding, which she had spent all her living on physicians. So she also has financial issues. She's in debt. Neither could be healed of any came behind him and touched the hem of his garment and was immediately healed of her issue. And Jesus said, who touched me? Isn't this interesting? And another translation says in Luke, it says, she said to herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, if I can only touch the hem of his why does she keep saying hem? Why did she say, if I can only touch his hair? Why didn't she say if I could, you know, she, she picked a specific spot. The word hem in the, in the, in the Greek is the word zit zit, because in, in those days, Jews still do, they wear something called a talith, a prayer shawl. On the prayer shawl, there are four corners. The four corners have a, have a hem on them. The hem is called the zit zit. The zit zit is also called the wings. This woman read the scripture according to Isaiah that said, for you, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. wings. And she wow. said, if I could touch the zit zit, if I could touch the hem, if I could touch just that part, I know there's healing in his wings. I know it's there. And she activated faith by activating understanding. Let me go deeper. Let me go a little bit deeper. Wow. Deeper. Wow. That was so good. Let's open up to... What's this place? Uh, go to the book of Matthew 15, 27. Matthew 15, 27. I'm trying to show you that faith is understanding. Nothing more, nothing less. Faith is understanding. And if you and I cannot partner with understanding, we cannot operate by faith. But when we have understanding, we have confidence. We have confidence in the realm of the spirit. Okay. Now, what does it say? He, Matthew 15, verse 27 says, uh, Jesus, by the way, in this place. Okay, let's go from verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from the region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. You guys hearing this? But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now listen to this. He wasn't sent. You have to understand an anointing is to a group of people. people most people don't get this about the anointing. Sometimes you pray for people and nothing happens because you were not sent to them. And even anointings operate in jurisdictions. Jesus understood he was called to the lost house of Israel. That was his job. By the way, his job was not to the Gentiles. 
Jesus was called. His assignment, Paul, was raised for the Gentiles. Jesus' anointing was for the lost house of Israel. This is why he could sit with a Samaritan, because the Samaritan is mixed race. She's, the Samaritan was half Jewish um, and, and half other, other nations. That's why they were called Samaritans. Their blood was mixed. Jesus was called to Jews. It was his assignment. It was when the Jews rejected the message, the Gentiles are grafted in. Remember when Peter saw the unclean animals, that's when the Gentiles were brought in to, to, the, to the deal. Up until that point, Jesus was only called to the children of the covenant, the children of the old covenant. It, it was there. Why? Because this was a righteousness issue. It was their right through Abraham. It was there. He said, I am only called to the lost house of Israel. This is why you'll now understand why he said this statement. Then she came and worshipped him. Listen to what she did. She worshipped him. She's now activating an understanding. What you don't realize is when you worship, you are activating something you understand. It's not feelings. When you and I give thanks, when, you, when we praise, we're not operating in feelings. We are activating understanding. She switches gears from begging to worship. Saying, and then she said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good. Now, listen, just to solidify the, the fact that he did not come to the, to the Gentiles, he insults this woman because the derogatory term for Gentiles was dogs because they were unclean. They were barbarians. They don't wash their hands when they eat. So Jesus says it is not good to take the children's bread, the bread that belongs to the Jews and give it to a dog. Hear what she says. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Whoo! What did she do? Then Jesus said back to her, oh, woman, great is your understanding. She said, though dogs are not children in a house, they still eat the crumbs that fall off of the children's plate. She says, if you want to call me a dog, fine, call me a dog. I'm in the house. At least I'm in the house. But if the children reject it, I'll eat the crumbs that come. And Jesus said, great is your faith. She basically said, dogs have become household members by becoming dogs. I can become a member of your house by, by being here. And Jesus looked and said, great is your understanding. Think about this. This woman had grafted herself into a covenant through understanding. If you and I want to operate in great dimensions of prayer, we have to operate in great dimensions of revelation. Authority in the realm of the spirit is given to those who have revelation. If you don't have revelation of scripture, if you don't have revelation of the will of God, there is no authority before God in prayer. Why, why, why? It all goes back to who you are. First of all, you have to understand that this book is a legal document. Second of all, you have to understand that God's intention from the beginning, from the beginning, was to create something very unique when he made you. You see, you're a the reason why Satan is so jealous of you is that you are a more proficient technology. You are more proficient technology than angels. What do I mean by that? What is he talking about? If God was to send an angel right now to give us a message, the angel will have to travel light years from heaven to earth. God knows if the message has changed, whatever that angel is on their way as a messenger. 
your technology is different. You see, when God made you, a temple, by the way, is an intersection between two dimensions. A temple is where, uh, 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 where a deity uh, sets their embassy between two jurisdictions. We call it supernatural. The temple is that natural point. It's that natural place in which two realms intertwine. When God made you a temple, he made you a, a, a meeting place between two realms. Why did God make you a temple? Then he also did something else. He gave you dominion, which means you are a king over a domain. That means God has given you jurisdiction. We're getting into legal places now. God has given you jurisdiction. He's given you legal authority. He's given you domain. He's given you space. He's given you rulership. He's given you authority. You have to realize that that's what he gave you. He gave you domain. You are a king and a priest. His, his idea since the beginning, God's kingdom is the only kingdom in which there are no subjects. All his kids are kings, not subjects. This is why we call him the king of kings, the Lord of lords. All his children are kings. And what is a king? A king was the embodiment of justice. The king was the highest court in the land. Listen, today we have supreme courts, where the, those are the highest courts. But in biblical days, if you get rid of your democratic thinking and think in terms of kingdoms, when you think about kingdoms, you have chiefs. Chiefs were who you brought the small claims and local issues to. But when you had a major dispute that was unsolvable, remember, do you remember in scripture when uh, David slept with Bathsheba? And the prophet Nathan waits until the king sat in judgment to bring him a case, to present a case before the king. And he says to the king, in your kingdom, there is such and such a case. And the king executed judgment. The job of a king, hear me, the job of a king, you guys who are kings and priests, the job of a king is to execute justice. What is justice? Justice is not the same as judgment. Please understand this. Justice is equity, fairness, and making things right. That's the job of a king. So when Jesus healed the sick, he was executing justice. When Jesus canceled debt, he was executing justice. When the, when the disciples were fishing, those of you who need a business miracle, when the disciples were fishing all night long and caught nothing, and he made fish uh, jump into the boat, he was executing, he was paying them for all the days they had fished and caught nothing, and he was executing fairness. What should have been right, had they not been a curse, what should have been right, had they not been a curse, is this should have happened. But because a curse is operating in the earth, we need kings to execute justice. A king is also known as a mediator. A king is also known as, an, as, a, as, a, as somebody who stands in between. So God has made you a king, he's made you a priest, and he's made you a prophet. You are a hybrid in nature. You are a temple, a meeting ground, an intersect between two realms. This is why when Jacob fell asleep on top of a rock, he saw a ladder ascending to heaven because he was on a geographical location in which God was going to build the temple. You and I are mobile temples. As we move, angels, just like they ascended and descended upon the temple, remember they ascended and descended upon Jesus. You are a temple in which angels are ascending and descending upon you. I'm going somewhere deep today. And if you don't understand this part, this simple part, that you are not like an angel who has to come from heaven to deliver a message, you are 
in heaven right now and here on earth at the same time. You say, well, how's that possible? When I put on my virtual reality glasses, one of the things I found amazing when I did it was I was in another world, moving, walking, talking around in my VR world, yet I was seated on a chair in my living room. There's going to be a day that you and I are going, this time, uh, this digital projection, this matrix we live in is going to give way to the reality of the kingdom that has been surrounding us all along. Uh, uh, these angels exist. This is why the Scripture didn't say that angels came down. It says that angels appeared. It, it means that basically they exist in a dimension beyond the virtual projection that you're seeing right now. And if you don't understand how to operate in your judicial authority, hear me, in your judicial authority, you will never see the answers to prayer. Until a king comes to pray, you won't see answers. If you are coming in the garb of a sinner, if you're coming in the garb of a beggar, if you're coming in the garb, and by garb I'm talking about if you're coming in the identity of this, in the place of prayer, you are already disadvantaged. You're already fallen in prayer. You have to come to prayer understanding that prayer is the jurisdiction of legalities. It is not the place for emotion. Emotion can be involved in prayer when it is according to God's will. Something is released when we pray according to God's will. It's called peace. Peace. Now, if you're a king and your job is to execute justice, let's go, let's go to this scripture. Justice is, you, you see, as a king, you have two things to do. Two things to do. Are you here? Are you guys still here? You're looking bored. Should I, should I stop? We're still here. Are you sure? As a king, you have two things to do. As a king, you have two responsibilities. This is go deeper. I don't get to go this deep on a Sunday. As a king, you have two responsibilities. Execute justice and judgments. Justice and judgments. What's the difference? See, I studied law. Justice is to make things equitable fair or to put things right that were wrong that's justice that's justice i need you to understand this language justice is to make things equitable or fair equitable means make things equal or right or to or to make things or put things right that were wrong when i say put things right that were wrong if if God's form of justice, if you lost 50 pounds, his form of justice isn't to give you 50 pounds. God does not, in his court, he, he, he can reward you or he does something else. There's a scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. No, 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 no. But, but God is a rewarder of those who diligently do what? Seek him. It says he's a rewarder. The word reward is another judicial term. It's a legal term. It's the word renumerate. Write down that word, renumerate. Renumerate simply means, hear this, it's a, it's a legal term that basically means not enumerate, renumerate, R-E, renumerate, R-E-N, renumerate. Okay. God's, God renumerates those who seek him. The word renumerate, that's it. Um, kind of it, rare, not rem, ren. It means, it means, it means the word renumerate simply means, someone Google the spelling. The word renumerate simply means that he, 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 he compensates you 
for injuries on the job. There's a play, there's a, there's a, in every, in a good organization, there's a remunerator. The job of the remunerator is to say, you know, when 9-11 happened, there was a part of the government, there's a remunerator board. And the remunerator was, what is the worth of the lives that were lost? So we can pay them out from the U.S. Treasury. Apparently, every American who was indirectly or directly affected by 9-11 was entitled to 1.1 million pounds. The people who were in the World Trade Center, I think they gave them a 1.1 million pound payout remuneration. Remuneration simply means I am I'm I'm bringing you back to where you were before the hurt happened. And then well, that's reward. Then remunerate means no, that's compensation. Then remunerate means I'm going above that and giving you more on top for anything you suffered, any damages you suffered, justice. Justice operates on this, please hear me. Whenever, when I once complained to an ombudsman about something that happened, an ombudsman, again, their job is to execute justice on behalf of the government when things go wrong with consumer rights. I appealed to an ombudsman because something illegal had happened um, in a consumer issue that I was in. And the ombudsman said this to me, he said, hear these words, what is your desired outcome? This is what prayer operates on, whatsoever things you desire. What is the desired outcome of this situation? What do you desire to be the end of it? What, how do you want me to execute justice? That's why the Bible says God is able to abundantly above anything we ask or dream or even dare to ask. What is the desired outcome? What does it look like when I've done it? God wants to know what your desired outcome is. Judgment is different. Now, judgment, the Bible actually says that the anointing is upon me to execute judgment. What, what is the execution of judgment? The execution of judgment simply means an adverse sentence. Judgment happens when God has had enough. And when God has had enough, judgment is how often God executes justice. Judgment is how God executes justice. He gives a judgment. He decrees a judgment. You cannot have justice without judgment. You and I must know the judgments of God to be able to execute justice. How do judgments operate? And I'll leave you alone. There's so much more to go through, but I'm, 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 I'm going to land the plane because I don't know if you have more capacity. How does God execute judgment? Now, when I studied law, okay, when I studied law, I understood that there are two paths to law. Okay. There's what you call case law. And there's what you call statute. Statute is what is codified into law. Let me put it in, in Latin. There's what you call ratio decidendi, and then there's what you call orbiter dictum. Ratio decidendi is when you read case law, these were the persuasive arguments that led to the judgment. Orbiter dicta is the judgment itself. You guys here with me? When you study law, there are two sides, case law and there is statute. When you look at statute, statute has authority over case law. 
So the, the priority is to look at the statute. If there is statute there in place, your priority is to focus on the statute. So it might be according to the Human Rights Act 1998, Clause 66, this is what it says when dealing with this issue. In places where it's not clear, you start to look at the case law. And what is the case law? The case law is this, and this is going to bless your soul. Let me give you a scripture before I go into this. Let me give you a scripture. Let me tell you how God wants you to approach him when you pray. Your prayer life is going to go to a new dimension. The testimonies are going to be unreal. The testimonies are going to be unreal. Go to the book of Isaiah 41.21. 41.21. Please hear this. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your strong arguments, says the king of Jacob. When you and I come to God, you, you are presenting case law. You're, sorry, you're, you're presenting cases. I'll tell you why a lot of us backslide. Because our cases are stacking up. Isaiah 41, 21. I'll tell you why he's setting the, the guy. Oh, something's up. I'll tell you why a lot of us um, uh, um, backslide, because the cases are stacking up. And let me tell you what causes backsliding. What God put inside of your spirit is something called justice. Can I tell you when the scripture says, how long will you tolerate Jezebel? Can I tell you part of the toleration of Jezebel is the fact that you keep tolerating injustice. Things are going wrong in your life that you're not even talking to God about. You don't even present it as case. You allow the enemy to run riot around you. How can you be working as hard as you're working? You've made no money. That's called a curse. You are now tolerating a spirit that is prevailing in your life. How can there still be sickness in your body? But you're like, maybe it's God's will. He's teaching me character. You are now allowing your cases to stack up. Listen, you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. You are, as, as a king, you are a lawyer. You are a legal officer of the courts of heaven with authority before God to speak in the courts of heaven. But what often happens is we tolerate injustices. How can you be tithing and God hasn't opened the floodgates of heaven and you have not yet presented that case? You're tolerating it. You're tolerating it religiously religiously, because something in you saying, well, God will do it, and you don't want to be offended with the Lord and all this stuff, and God allowed in his time, and blah, blah, blah. You're, you're tolerating injustices. Part of the toleration of Jezebel, Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, is an unjust spirit. What did she do with Ahab? She co convinced Ahab to kill somebody unjustly to take his land against the law, to kill someone to take his land unjustly. That's part of the toleration of Jezebel, the injustices that we tolerate, the things that we allow to happen. So he says, present your case, says the Lord, set forth your arguments. Another one says, set forth your, with strong reasonings, compelling arguments. When we come before God in prayer, God wants compelling arguments. Well, how do you get compelling arguments? Well, what did the centurion say? He said, don't come to a house, only speak the word, because I'm one under authority and subject to authority. That's a compelling argument. 
Yeah, well, even the dogs eat the crop. That's a compelling argument. When you and I come before God, we are coming to a judicial system. Before I go further, let me give you another scripture. Luke 18. Luke 18. He's saying this parable to the extent the Bible says that men ought always pray and not faint. He's telling you that you ought to always pray. Now you're going to understand what prayer is. Prayer is an appeal to the highest court. You're no longer appealing to the courts of man anymore. You are appealing to the highest courts in the earth, in the, in the universe, the court of heaven. Then Jesus taught his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Basically, hear this. Do not give up on your case. Hear what I just said? Do not give up on your case. What's the case you're dealing with with God right now? Or what are the cases that you're dealing with God on right now? Is it understanding your destiny, your purpose, where it is to go next, what it is to do in life? Do not give up on your case. Present your case before the Lord. He said, he said this to accept that men ought always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So this judge did not fear God. He did not care what anyone thought about him. He had no reputation. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. So not just is this a bad judge, it's also a woman with a weak argument. I'll go into tithing another week. That's part of justice system of heaven. I'll go into tithing another week. Someone's private messaging me. That's part of the justice system of heaven. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she's not even a good arguer. She's just like, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. She's persistent. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice? See, what you, what you need to understand is prayer is a justice issue. When we say, let your kingdom come, we're saying, let your justice, let your dominion, let your way of doing things come on the earth. And don't worry, I haven't missed it. I'm coming back to it. I'm coming back to it. Don't worry, I haven't missed it. I'm, I'm showing you first it's a judicial system. Then I'm going to show you how to present your case. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, <laughs> will he find what? Faith, understanding in the earth. So what is he saying? So there are two sides of the law. Oh, I got to give you another scripture. I said, I'm laying a foundation before I give you these. Go to uh, the book of uh, Acts 10.34. Acts 10.34. I need you to understand this. In simple, it says, God is no respect of person. In other words, he shows no partiality. What he does for someone, if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. 
Um, a minister once said um, that him and his brother uh, were in competition. The dad promised the, them something, bought it for his brother. And what he did was he kept the receipt so he could say to his dad, you bought this for my brother now, can you? Here's the proof. You did it for my brother, can you do it for me? This brings me to my understanding of case law and statute. And we'll go deeper as we go along. But today, I think this is it. Case statute is codified law. Statute might say, for example, don't cheat, lie, steal. That's statute. Don't live in your flesh. Um, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You know, you praying, God, give, I want to marry this person, but they're not even saying, like, come on, don't be unequally yoked. Like, I know we try and find ways around it. No, just don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Um, that's statute. Statute is laid out clear in the word of God. But what do you do with the areas that don't seem so clear? This is where the case law comes into play. What is case law? Case law is when a judge will look at a similar case, a similar case to decide how this case will be determined. He might look at uh, James B. V. Coca-Cola or Roe V. Smith or uh, whatever the case is. He'll look at how the judge decided in the favor or against the appellant who was in that court. In the same way, you and I have a Bible. Now, you, now Bible study is going to take on a whole new meaning. You're not just Bible studying just to show people that you know a whole bunch of scriptures. You're now Bible studying because you, don't, you need to understand your own constitution if you're going to talk to God with confidence. If you're believing God for children and you don't know the case law of God, in what he's done with people who are believing him for children, then you can't confidently stand before God and say, God, you said you are no respectable person and you did this here for this. Can you do it for me? If you're believing God for a financial breakthrough, but you don't understand the case law of God, the legal, uh, and I mean, not just understand the case law, but understand the parameters that govern financial breakthrough as well. And you're not activating and operating these things then you can't rightly stand before God in confidence to ask him to intervene according to the word of God in the case law. Often the, the reason why the Bible says we're surrounded by witnesses being Abraham, Isaac, and all those, these guys have testified that by their faith, they were able to do certain things with God. And it is their testimony we rely on before God in court. How do you know God's going to do it for you if you don't know he's done it before? So when you and I pray, our job is not to just allow injustice to go on, but our job is to release the justice and the judgments of God. As we go deeper, I'm going to be showing you what the courts look like, how the heavenly courts operate. Where does God sit in the courts? What's the order of the courts? Why are there 24 elders, for example, witnesses, living creatures? What are these all about? How do we engage with the courtroom of God spiritually? How do we engage? How does prophecy operate in the realm, in the courtrooms? How does tongues operate? How does thanksgiving, praise, and worship operate in the judicial system of heaven? But I want to ask you guys, study what I've taught today. 
take the time. I'm going to ask you to do something in the Slack group, which has gone, which has gone Slack. We should probably leave it because it's called Slack. But in the Slack group, I'm going to ask you to discuss what I've taught today. I don't mean just repeat what I've taught. What did you understand? What did you take away? What can you add? What knowledge did it link to? What triggered you? What exploded in you? The Bible says it, you know, I'm actually asking you to activate a spiritual principle that will activate the court of heaven. What do you mean? What do you mean? How, do, how does talking about what he just taught activate the court of heaven? How does that even work? Well, let me give you the scripture. Uh, Malachi. I believe it's Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence for those who feared the Lord and honored him. Do you see that? There's those who feared the Lord spoke often. That means when you fear God, what you do is, you don't just go, that was a nice message, bye. You start to speak to each other about what you heard. You start to encourage each other about what you are taught. You start to, it's because you want, the reason why you're doing it is because you want to preserve the word of God in your heart. Otherwise, what's going to happen? You're going to leave this. You're going to go watch some TV. It's all gone. By the time you wake up in the morning, be like, what did, how was that? How was last night? Oh, it was powerful, man. It was powerful. What do you talk about? Mm, yeah, it was powerful. Whatever it was, it was sure it was powerful. But if you want to get all the nutrition out of the word of God, take the time to jump on that Slack group, which has gone Slack, and we need to break the slackness off of it. Start bringing back life to it and discuss what was taught. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this time that we, we have had. We thank you for the healings that you have released. We thank you for the testimonies that you've released. Father, I'm asking that as we go deep in this understanding of the courts of heaven and how they operate, that you would pour out the spirit of wisdom. The Father, this would revolutionize how we pray, how we approach you. The Father, your testimonies would fill our hearts, that your words would fill our hearts. Father, I still pray for those who are watching and listening, for the healing of their bodies, for the soundness of their mind, for financial deliverance and breakthrough. The Father, this would be to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Catch up with you on Sunday. Be there with us. Sunday, we're back in person. Don't be at home watching online if you live in the UK. Come down and worship with us and praise with us and bring somebody with you. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be hot in the house this Sunday. I'll see you guys. God bless. Bye-bye.